Well, as we begin today, uh, if I didn't mention it, my name is Ben Brandt, and uh, not the main preaching pastor, as you'll note as we go along. But uh, So, thank you for your grace today. Uh, to start, I would just like to give a little bit of a, a personal history of, of my, my journey, my own journey in singing. Uh, my mom was musical, she sang, she played guitar, she played piano. Uh, my brothers were really involved in my singing, um, continually telling me to stop singing. Um, that's a memory I have, which must have meant that I sang a lot as a kid, just around the house. Uh, in high school, I was a lead singer in a band. Uh, I did musicals, um, led youth Sundays, actually with Andrew's dad, so Pastor Andrew. Um, we went to high school together, and his dad was our pastor. And uh, in college, I, I tried out for the band there with my trusty trumpet uh, because I was going to be a music education major, and God had different plans for me. I tried out for trumpet. I actually didn't make it. So that's a humbling story for me to tell, but I love telling it because I'm so grateful that that moment happened, that that band director said, nope, I don't want you, because it, led, it changed the trajectory of my, of my life, really. Uh, I wanted to continue to be a music major, and I had to be in an ensemble to do that, so I wasn't banned. So I thought, well, I guess I have to try the choir. I wasn't in choir in high school, uh, but I tried out, and I did make it into the choir. So I was able to continue a music ministry major, and um, within college, I, I led some chapels, led some worship with that. Out of that, I um, moved into a career ministry with Youth for Christ, um, leading a high school music ministry, and that was halftime, and I was also halftime as a music director in a church. Uh, I didn't know if I really wanted to be um, uh, involved in music in the church, and I really feel like this was God's grace in sort of allowing me to dip one toe into church ministry, um, knowing that eventually this is where he would want me to be. Um, had another rock band along the way, uh, was brought into full-time ministry with the church eventually, and uh, from there started the church plant with Andrew, and then we merged, and here we are today. And so here we are, here and now. So what about us? What about our singing? Uh, what does this look like for us? Does the Bible have anything to say about it? One author said, the Bible gets much thinner if we take out all the songs and references to singing. So yes, it has something to say. Uh, in fact, the Psalms, which is one of the longest books of the Bible, uh, known as Israel's prayer book or hymn book, uh, has a command to sing over 100 times. Did you know that God himself sings? In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, He will rejoice over you with singing. We'll see today that our singing is a vital part of the Christian life, because it builds up our faith and it honors God. So we have many reasons. There are really many reasons to sing, but today I'm just going to highlight five. These five right here, that we sing because singing is a natural response. It's a memory aid. It's a means of expression. It's a loving command. And it's a good act to follow. So first we're going to focus in on Colossians 3, and then we're going to zoom out from there. So look again at, at Colossians 3, and the first point we have today is that it's a natural response. 
Singing should flow naturally from hearts that are grateful for the peace and reconciliation, our unity purchased for us in the gospel. I, I just uh, had to say amen with, with Brooke. I was so blessed this morning by the team. Uh, thank you, Kurt, again, uh, Ashley, for leading us and the team. Um, I, I kind of felt like that in itself was, was the sermon. I just, it, it just felt like such an application of everything I want to say today. Um, that I didn't know if I really needed to come up to speak at all, but here we are. Uh, Look at Colossians 3 again with me, uh, starting with verse 11. It says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul's talking about our new life together in Christ. He says we're all united now in Christ, and there is no significant division. Like 1 Peter when he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation. Earlier on in Colossians, Paul says, You who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. This is the gospel. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He's made peace by the blood of his cross. Paul has laid the groundwork of the great work of the gospel throughout this whole letter to the church in Colossae. And here in verse 11, he punctuates the implications of this that we, his new people, have been united in Christ. Going on into verses 12 through 15, he goes on to say, to spell out what kind of life that means for us. We need to be, we're to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forgiving, and above all, loving. He ends this section with a short, simple phrase, and be thankful. Aren't we thankful for all that he's done? To tear down the walls of hostility between us, to create a new community of love under a great and loving king, who purchased it all for us. Amen? What is our response? What is our response to this? We sing to our king. That is one of the ways we respond. We bring the choir together. We tell him with one voice in the beauty of song that we love him for who he is and what he's done. Mike Cosper, in his book, Rhythms of Grace, says, Paul presumes this gospel-formed unity before he even talks about singing. The reconciling work of the gospel is the prerequisite to our singing. The reality is that we're not always there, are we? We're tired, busy, burdened, and we forget it all. Oftentimes, the response that we have or the response that we want to give or not give can be an indicator of our relationship, of our relationship with God. I'm guilty of this myself. As a worship leader coming in on Sunday morning, um, I'm, not always, I'm not always ready. I don't always feel like responding to God. I've neglected God all week. I have not been in his word. I have not been in prayer. And I come in, in the morning and need to, to lead others in, in the team and this church in this. And it, it's, I feel like it's a grace of his that... It, that we're confronted with 
the fact that I don't feel like it. Because it pushes me back to, okay, if I don't want to be with my father, I must have forgotten who he is and how loving he really is. If I don't want to tell him how great he is, I must have forgotten how great he is. So stay close to Jesus. Singing itself is a way to help us remember the gospel that leads again to our praise. So that's our natural response. And the second reason we sing is because it's a memory aid. Uh, Jenny last night uh, mentioned digestive aid just in a conversation. I thought, oh, I should have said digestive aid. That's so good. It helps, us, helps the word dwell richly within us. Anyway, it's a, it's a memory aid. Singing is a means God has chosen to allow the word of Christ to dwell richly in us. Look at verse 16, and I'm going to read from the NIV. It says, Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. God has given us the gift of music to embed truth into our soul. We remember melodies which are tied to texts which holds the word of life. Author Harold Best says, a congregation is just as responsible to sing the gospel as the preachers are to preach it. It helps us bring really the truth that we have from our head to our heart, and I think you've experienced that. There's an example of this in Deuteronomy. When God told Moses that Moses would die soon, the people of Israel would rebel, and God's anger would cause hardship, he told Moses a song to write. In chapter 31, 19 through 22, he says, Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. When many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them, admonish, as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. It's really a crazy song. It takes up pretty much the whole entire next chapter. It's, it's so long. After he recited it to the people, he said, Take heart that all the words by which I am warning you admonish again today, that you may command them, teach them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of the law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. These aren't just songs. These are meant to put God's very truth into us. Today, we're actually fortunate. We're fortunate to get together and, and, and sing together. Uh, this was a practice that was actually lost for centuries. For nearly a thousand years, high church tradition uh, and ritual took away public worship. Uh, choirs, monks, Latin mass that nobody could understand um, took, took this away from them. Uh, Martin Luther and the Reformers really were the ones to, to bring it back. Luther insisted that hymns be sung in every worship service, because he thought that vigorous singing of simple hymns could open the hearts, of minds, hearts and minds of God's people to embrace God's, the word of God. He's thought to have said, if you want to know what a church believes, look at, what we, look at what they sing. So we need to be careful about what we sing. We want to make sure it's biblically sound, theologically accurate, gospel-centered, that it has good songwriting, it's intelligible, it's accessible, so part of the application of this is, I think, to keep us, keep us accountable, for you to keep us accountable for the songs that we sing 
and for you to guard your own song diet. Um, I remember in high school, so the, the band I was in in high school, um, I'm sure you've heard of it, it's called Curbside. It's, <laughs> it's gotten around. Um, I, we were playing for the street dance for the town celebration, and uh, so kind of the whole town comes and gathers, small town up in Grand Marais where I grew up, and Fisherman's Picnic, and uh, we just played kind of top 40 songs, just um, whatever was popular and people got out on the dance floor for. And we sang a song by ACDC. Um, if you don't know who that is, don't look them up. Um, and who was in the audience but Pastor Ken, Andrew's dad. And uh, after the... After we played or during a break, this is this was I, I often share this uh, as I share my testimony. So many of you are probably some of you have probably heard this, but um, it was f- a very formative moment for me. Uh, in the midst of this craziness, uh, in the crowd, Pastor Ken comes up to me and he says, "Hey, just wondering if you if you realize what you're singing, if you're aware of the words." that you're singing in this song, because he was very, he grew up with that. He grew up with that music. He knew what that, and I won't even tell you what the song uh, is called, because my children are here. Um, now they'll ask me later. Uh, but, but I had to say, no, I guess I don't, I really don't. I just was really, I was just mindlessly a mouthpiece up there to get the party started. And uh, it really sent me on a trajectory of intentionality that I, the next rehearsal with the band, I just said, guys, I'm sorry, I, I know it's, uh, uh, people like this song, but I, I just can't sing it anymore. You guys can do it if you want to, but I just can't sing it anymore. The Holy Spirit had used Pastor Ken to um, bring conviction to me. We need to be careful about what we sing. The Psalms... Uh, so as, as a memory aid, a tool as a memory aid, the Psalms also uh, were a memory aid to, to Israel. Um, but, not, but not just that. They were a means of expression. In verse 16, it says, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So some people get kind of hung up on the distinctions between these three. Um, others say that these terms are really used interchangeably. So uh, don't worry too much about those terms, but we know that they did actually sing psalms. Um, So the psalms have been called Israel's prayer book, used as a hymn book. And they just have the full gamut of prayer. Uh, The main themes in the psalms include God's law and the coming Messiah to save them, lament and praise, and faith and hope. Those are really the, the main themes. Singing gives us a means to proclaim these of lamenting over a broken world, praising God for his greatness, and not just on our own, but together. There's been a resurgence recently in the non-traditional church to reintroduce confession and lament into liturgy. Liturgy is just, uh, just means what we do when we gather as a church. Uh, this has kind of been in response to sort of the happy, clappy dream world that we fell into. Um, and it, it acknowledges the brokenness and suffering as a part of life 
in, in which we have hope. Uh, I've been grateful for this. Um, that's why we have um, corporate prayers of confession, songs of lament, in addition to um, praise and other, other things. Music stirs up uh, and expresses God-glorifying emotion that matches the joy and sorrow of life. Uh, another Luther quote, I can't get through a, a sermon on singing without some good Luther quotes. Uh, he says, next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. He also said, he, he tended to get a little sassy, um, which he was known for, especially later in his career. Uh, but this is a fun little quote. He says, a person who does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. So I'm sorry if that's you. His word's not mine. Uh, but speaking of being lo kind and loving, uh, we sing also because, because singing is a loving command. Uh, the passage in Colossians isn't just a suggestion, it's a command. The word hallelujah, which we sang this morning, it literally means praise the Lord. It's a command. Praise him. Do it. Uh, we've kind of reduced it to, um, in, in Christian jargon, PTL, sort of in our texts, uh, that is for excitement for what God is doing, but it's, it's really saying, hey, everybody, praise him. Do it. Uh, why, so why is it a command? Well, why do we give rules to our kids? I'm sure our, our kids are wondering that too. Uh, because he knows what's good for us. And also because he's worthy. Uh, worthy means to ascribe worth. He, he tells us to praise him because, because he's worthy of, of this praise. Psalm 47 says, Clap your hands. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Why? It goes on to say, for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. As we say to our kids, we don't do it because we have to, we do it because we get to. Uh, the next reason that we have to sing is because it's a good act to follow. Not only do we have the legacy and examples of Israel and the saints throughout church history, but we have the triune God who sings and inspires song. What did Israel do after God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt? They all came together and sang to the Lord. Then Moses' sister led the women in further singing. After Israel was delivered from the Canaanites, it says they sang on that day. Of the 38,000 people who ministered at the temple in Jerusalem, 4,000 were musicians. What did the Virgin Mary, how did the Virgin Mary respond when she was pregnant with Jesus? What did Paul and Silas do when they were in jail? They sang. God himself sings. As I mentioned, in Zephaniah 3.17, says God sings over us. The last thing that Jesus and disciples did before Jesus was arrested was sing a hymn. In Ephesians 5, it says that the Spirit inspires song as a sign of faith. What else do we need in heaven? What are the heavenly beings doing right now? What will we do in our life, in our, in our life after life? In the end of Revelation, uh, in Revelation 7, 9 through 11, it says, 
where we will see the people of God singing in eternity. That's, that's where we see that, that statement. And finally, what did Jesus do with his last breath as he paid the penalty for our sins through his death on the cross? Some of you might know, he actually said the first line of Psalm 22 when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The disciples would have known the context. In this psalm, it starts with, Where did you go? God, why are you far? It moves to uh, a helpless situation. From there, he cries for help. Then he remembers God's faithfulness. He keeps the faith and he praises. And then, he, and then he goes on to say that all will worship him and tell to the next generation. So it moves from utter despair to great hope. What a great reference that Jesus used to build the faith and honor the Father in Jesus' last moment. Jesus has given us another memory aid we call communion. We take the cracker and the juice to remind us of his body broken for us and his blood spilled for us. Jesus had to die because sin demands a punishment in order for God to be just. In his mercy, he spared us by sending Jesus in our place. He was the perfect substitute. Through his sacrifice, we are forgiven, washed clean, and accepted by God. Through Jesus' resurrection, we have new life and eternal life. If you haven't placed your faith in him, if you haven't trusted God with your life, you can do that now. If you, if you feel like, I just don't feel like singing, I just don't feel like crying out, I don't know this God. Reject your sin and embrace God, a God who has a better way for you, and then tell somebody. Communion is for believers in Christ, but if you haven't taken that step, use this time now to think about what we're singing or pray for God to give you the gift of faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this gift of music, this gift of singing. Father, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts that we would be compelled by your love and the gospel that would just ignite our singing, that we would be reminded of your good gospel, that we would be able to express how we feel about you and what we know about you. God, we thank you now for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.